Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. The Coaches Network, bringing the game together. And I think there's so many coaches out there who, who try to implement a way onto players because it's vogue. It's the way that things are being done. Actually, have a look at the players that you've got in front of you and what is yeah. it that their strengths are? What is it that is actually achievable? And I think that's a, that's a good place to start. Always start with the players. Hey guys, you're now listening to the Coaches Network podcast, a podcast aimed at anyone who's passionate about athlete, talent and personal development. My name's Coach Yas and I'm a UEFA A licensed football coach, coach developer and content creator. I'll be sitting down with a range of guests to discuss their journeys, their life lessons and how you can make an impact. Enjoy. Welcome back to the Coaches Network, guys. Uh, we're back today. We've got a very special guest. Um, today's guest is going to be Phil Shedd. He's the head of academy coaching at Middlesbrough. Um, just want to introduce yourself to the guys, Phil. Hi, everyone. Thanks for the opportunity, yes. I'm, uh, I'm really excited about it. So thanks for, thanks for inviting me on. Fantastic. So we'll get straight into it, Phil. I, mean, I just want to get a bit, bit of an understanding about how you started your coaching journey. Um, I know you initially started off as a player. You went through... Um, being a scholar at Middlesbrough and you eventually ended up in coaches. Can we just talk us a bit about how that came about and what that journey was Yeah, like so to... 11 years at Middlesbrough as a player, working all the way from kind of under nines all the way up to under 19s. I've always been somebody, well, I think I am, always somebody who, who um, is very forward thinking. So when I was kind of in my scholarship, I was always looking at the what ifs, you know, what might be next for me if football didn't work out, which I don't think is too regular at this moment in time. Um, so obviously you get your level two coaching award through the club. Um, and alongside that, my dad had a coaching business as well uh, that he set up. So I used to do some sessions with, with kind of some of the grassroots clubs that were connected with that. And when I was released um, from Middlesbrough at 19, it was kind of like a natural thing just to fall into my dad's business. Now, it's worth noting that his business wasn't just football. So it was coaching a variety of sports. So it was football, but also it was going into schools and just generally coaching. Um, and I think that was actually really, really beneficial and really interesting for me to learn just how to connect with children of a variety of ages, all the way from four up to actually 18. Um, so that, that's kind of how I got into coaching. The, having the level two really, really helped. Um, and then when I fell out of, obviously, well, I say I fell out when I was released from Middlesbrough, um, I joined Darlington. So for, for one year, I worked at Darlington Football Club with their academy set up. Um, and they were really kind of kind and put me through my UEFA B licence. And that really set me on my journey. So working alongside my dad's business, doing a little bit of Darlington, getting my B licence. That was the start of my journey at 20 years of age, really. Um, and obviously, the journey's expanded from there, but that's kind of in brief how I got into the coaching pathway. Just, just to take you back a bit, you know, something that you said there was, you know, you started to think about the what-ifs and what if 
what would happen if maybe the playing career didn't quite pan out the way you wanted it to. When did you start having those thoughts? Um, probably in a, in my second year of the scholarship, so probably seventeen going into eighteen. I mean, the the schoolwork element mm-hmm. wasn't really wasn't really one for me, so you obviously have to do certain um, like college um, work still whilst you're at Middlesbrough. But the coaching element really really interested me. I, I mean. I was captain for for most of the age groups all the way through, and for whatever that means, I just think it meant that I was I was quite good at kind of communicating with other people, and um, I think I had a reasonable understanding yeah. of the game. I do feel like my game understanding was pretty good, and I felt like I had a little bit of knowledge, which I later found out when I started coaching that the knowledge I felt that I had was as a player, not as a coach. Um, but yeah, so yeah. I started planning probably around about seventeen about the what ifs, um, just having that in the back of my mind. I didn't go into too much detail with it because I still wanted to be a player, but I definitely had that that what if yeah. element in my mind. Sure, and just in terms of that, you know, how important would you say it is for, I guess, players or coaches rather to have a playing background in that respect? I, I mean, there's examples in there of managers, of course, who've, who've kind of got to the top without people say without a massive playing background. I do feel like you've needed to play football at some level, if I'm honest. I think, you know, there's a difference between sometimes if you're going to try and speak to players about situations that are occurring or try and question them about things that they're, they're witnessing or seeing, I do feel it helps if you've been in their shoes. Now, what that level looks like, mm-hmm. I'm not saying you have to be elite, I'm not saying you have to be as a Dan or a Woodgate in our example at our club, but I do feel like you need to have played the game to a certain level to kind of really understand the, the pressures, the stresses, the things that the players go through. Definitely. And I just, just on that then, so would you say it's beneficial for maybe coaches, aspiring coaches to still be playing when they first start? I think coaching? if you can continue to play, I think it's a great asset for you. I mean, of course, if you're involved with an academy football and you're a full-time coach, then sometimes the constraints are a challenge because working hours and things like that. Um, but we've still got guys mm. who play, play in the Northern League. Some of them lads are full-time members of staff and I think it helps because then you can almost kind of start a transfer or kind of check and challenge the things that you're coaching players and then you're still seeing it in the game. So I, I still think it really, really helps if you are able to do so. I guess it depends on, it, it yeah. also depends on the path that you want to go on. I think it depends how much time you really, and I know we might not probably talk about it later, but the amount of time that you want to invest in something. So one thing that the yeah. reason I ended up stopping playing and really focusing on this journey was because I wanted to really fully invest myself in coaching, learning about coaching, learning about myself as a coach, myself as a person. And I didn't feel that like I could give that mm-hmm. everything as well as still taking time away and playing. But there's, I mean, there's a long coaching career. It's a lot longer than a playing career. So you, you can play yeah. for as long as you, you want, I guess. Definitely. I mean, I know why I ask that because I know there are a lot of coaches that I've certainly come across. I'm sure you have too that have kind of, when they've decided they want to go down that coaching route, they completely put a halt to everything regards regarding the playing side of things. Yeah. Um, and I feel... Go on. No, no, that, yeah, I, I agree. Um, I mean... Yeah, sure. It's just that, for me, I think they kind of go a bit too gung-ho on it and just say, right, we're not going to play anymore. We're going to focus on coaching. When actually, you know, everything that you said there, because I certainly found that when I started coaching, um, I started coaching at 18, but I didn't pl- really play any football between the ages of 16 and 18. And I found that despite not playing any football in those two years, when I actually started coaching and, I, and then I eventually started playing again recreationally, I actually felt like I was a much better player because I actually understood it from a different perspective. And I guess that's kind of what you've touched on there in terms of some of the the, the knowledge of the game that you felt you had and understanding the game that you felt you had as a, as a player, but actually you've seen it from maybe a coaching perspective. Yeah, definitely. And I think specifically to, to the roles that I've worked in, it's definitely helped 
haven't gone through the process with the, of the players that I'm working with, um, because you can yeah. always relate back to kind of some of the, the challenges that they may face, like we've already discussed. Um, so I think that's definitely definitely helped. But again, it doesn't necessarily have to be your background doesn't have to be within an academy. I think if you've just played to a level and you've played the game, yeah. you have a greater understanding of what the game might look like and some of the challenges it throws up. Definitely. So just um, you know, moving forward now. So you know, you've been at Middlesbrough for how, for how uh, long now? Uh, well, I've been back coach? there since two thousand and eleven. Uh, sorry, two thousand thirteen. So I did okay. two years part time and then full time since two thousand and fifteen. Yeah. So just talk us through that journey. So you've come, you've, you know, you've, you've done a year yeah. at Darlington, come back to Middlesbrough, started off part time in what, yeah. So 16th? basically, um, obviously, people know, I guess, that Darlington ended up folding as a football club. Um, so I was kind of yeah. got my B license, but uh, that journey ended with Darlington. So opportunity came up Middlesbrough just to go and observe. So I basically picked up the phone, I kind of called on some of the contacts that I had and said. Is there a chance that I can come back, just watch sessions, don't want to be paid for it, I just want to learn. And they were, they were great. So I spent kind of six to eight months just observing a variety of age groups all the way from the foundation phase up to kind of like the 15s and under 16s. Um, so that was 2012 into 2013. And then in 2013, um, E3P kicked on a little bit more. So some more full-time roles came up. And then because of that, some more part-time roles came up. And um, so I applied for one of the part-time roles yeah. and was lucky enough to get that. So I started with the under-11s. Um, so I did a year with the under-11s and then followed that age group to the under-12s. So I did two part-time years. And um, and that was really interesting. Kind of looking back now, I certainly wasn't in a position where I really kind of knew what coaching was all about. I certainly didn't think about mm-hmm. the, the players enough and I certainly didn't kind of plan for the individuals or even for the group or the units within that um, to help them develop as much as I possibly can. But I was really fortunate that the guy that I worked with in both the 11s and the 12s had a lot more experience than I did. And it was a great opportunity for me to learn. I think you can learn so much from other people. And actually, particularly in the first instance when I worked with the under-11s, the coach who I worked with, would I would say, would be polar opposites in terms of style, in terms of personality, um, and just in terms of everything mm-hmm. that we do in life, both football and non-football. But it was brilliant for me. Actually, at such a young age and such a young like experience in terms of coaching, working with somebody who's totally yeah. opposite end of the spectrum. I mean, that that definitely impacted my coaching and helped me as we went on. Um, so that was my two years part-time. And then in 2015, the club kind of restructured the full-time model again. So I think we were one of the first clubs to go a league coach at under 9s and 10. So one for the two. 11s and 12s, 13, 14s, okay. 15, 16. So Dave Parnaby at the time, he wanted to split it up into four. So the 9s and 10s role came up and was available. Um, so I applied for that and, and I was really fortunate to get that role. And that's where I really believe that my coaching journey in earnest started. I think it's great being a part-time member of staff. You know, there's so many positives to it. But I think once you're in it as a full-time job, you really get the chance to kind of invest some time yes. into what it is that you want to try and become yeah. better at. So that was when I really started to invest in time. Now, again, the first few years were a lot of courses for me. So I ended up having, obviously, because of kind of requirements of the EPPP, I went on the Advanced Youth Award and learned lots, but came back with too many new ideas all the time. So I was constantly just from one idea to the next, to the next. And then once I completed my Advanced Youth Award, the following summer, I enrolled on the the A licence. Again, which was a real challenge because my experience, other than playing, had all been really around the foundation phase. And I hadn't really worked at 11 v 11 yeah. football. Having said that, I don't really think, even at under 15, 16s, under 18s, you don't get a chance to coach 11 v 11 that often. 
because of numbers and things. But anyway, no, so don't. I went on the air license. That was a real eye opener. So I'm on that course with a lot of people who've got a lot more experience than me um, and have worked in 11 v 11 for a lot longer. So I'm somebody who goes on course, I sit back, I observe, I don't speak too much. Um, I really try to figure out the people in the room and then try to attach myself to the people I think have got real kind of um, can can really benefit my journey mm-hmm. can really support me yeah. um, So, but again coming back from that it was one of those where saw something I like try it so those two years from 2015 to 2017 were a lot of trial and error and I think from a player point of view there was probably too much going on but I was discovering I was finding my way as a coach um, and then part yeah. of the way through 2017, so I think it was around about um, December, January, December 2017, January 2018, um, the opportunity to kind of jump into our under-13s and 14s came available. So I applied for that role and was fortunate enough to get that. So it was time now for me to try and put a little bit of the practice, some of the stuff that I'd experienced on the on the air license, some of the stuff that I'd experienced on the Advanced Youth Award. But actually also some of the stuff that I experienced working with under nines and tens for two and a half years. How do I now scale that up to yeah. the thirteens and fourteens? Because it's all still part of the development program and process for us at the football club. Sure. Now I was only actually in that role for six months. Um, but I learned a lot because straight away the first couple of weekends we had kind of cup games. And I'm saying that almost in inverted commas inverted commas because Cup games, yeah, that you've got the Albert Feeling Cup, and that was again for me first exposure to competitive football, if you want to call it that. I mean, it still should be about. I mean, everyone wants to win, but there's still a massive development element to it. Um, so it was interesting to see my own behaviours, how they changed, and, and the coaches around us, so the part-time coaches, how their behaviours potentially changed, and obviously just jumping into that role as well. There was some challenges around. Um, the part-time staff had kind of looked after the 13s and 14s for about six months on their own because the league coach had unfortunately um, left um, and there was a kind of a little bit of a, of a delay in, in recruiting somebody new. So I probably jumped in two-footed um, and maybe should have gone a little bit slower. And I, but I think that was, a, that was a great learning process. Yeah. Um, but six months later, our under 15, 16s league coach got the opportunity to go out to Dubai and, and work, which he, which he took up. Um, I bet he's pleased when he looks out the window and sees the weather. But um, yeah. that, that job obviously came came available. So I thought, you know what, this job is the one that I always wanted. So when I started, that that for me was like the pinnacle working at the under 15, 16s. I thought, wow, that's so far away, but it's something I'd love to do. So the opportunity arose and I yeah. thought, let's have a go, let's apply. And I applied and like I said, got that role. So I did that role for a year and a half and I absolutely love that you know, the, the games programme of 15 and 16 just takes another level so we mm. start to follow the under 18s games programme and where we are in the North East we are a little bit restricted in terms of so in London you've got so many teams around you that you can play of different categories or, or, or different challenges in the North East we're a little bit more restricted but all of a sudden I'm getting exposure to a games programme that basically provides us with clubs from all over the country of category one standard and that sure. really tested me as a coach I tested my knowledge technically and tactically. I tested my ability to um, control my own emotions depending upon the, the opposition that we're playing. It kind of got me to think about how I use analysis to support the players. I started thinking about how I involve the players in the process. And it really started to think about the, the psych and social corner of working with players at a different age as well. You know, they're obviously exper- or trying yeah. to get a, um, a scholarship or a professional contract. And um, yeah, so that, that in brief. And then... Obviously, in um, in November of 2019, our head of coaching left. Um, he went to Leeds. So this role came up, and you know it's, it's another quick move again. But 
as, as as I move through, so I'm somebody who, as I move through jobs, I'm always thinking what's what could be next. Like I'm always planning. Not that I want it straight yeah. away, but I, I think I'm somebody who's always planning. I think that goes back to the start when I said about coaching when I was playing. And yeah, the head of coaching came up and potentially, you know, you'd argue maybe a little bit early in the journey, you know, because it's going to take you away from the grass a little bit. And I, I feel like I've got a lot more to give in terms of that coaching element, but also an opportunity that potentially yeah. might not come around for a long time again. So I've got to give it a go and I've got to see Definitely. to see what I actually think I might know. So I gave it a go and, and went through a two-stage interview process. Really rigorous, really interesting. But thankfully, I got the job and I've started on this journey now for just over six months. And um, it's definitely different to coaching. No two days have looked the same. But And obviously, the last couple of months has definitely been an added challenge to this role. Um, but I think it's something I'll really, really enjoy. Listen, I think... One key thing that kind of stands out for me is that you've you've always had that goal of what's what's next in mind, and I think it's very important for coaches to have that. Now, what what would you say, you know, on on that then in terms of, you know, you've talked about progressing through the qualifications quite quickly, and they tell us all the time, you know, take your time, be patient with it. But in actual fact, a lot of coaches aren't, no. are they? They they want to they want to rush through that qualification because they want to get to that quote-unquote end goal as quick as, or as soon as possible or at least to that next stage of their career as soon as possible um, and not, I don't think that many many of us I'll, I'll, you know, I'll say uh, actually put enough um, time and patience and effort into actually developing our craft on the way to getting to that, to that, to that stage if that makes sense yeah I would, I would agree it's a rat race isn't it is that right uh, everyone's everyone's buying mm. the same thing and I guess people i'm wondering myself times of the essence i always feel like if you miss this opportunity when will it come around again i guess the reality is that the opportunity will come around again whether it'll be the right time again who knows but i think i've, I've been really fortunate with the opportunities that have arose um, at a different club at a different time like these opportunities have arose who knows and i think you're right yeah. i could have spent more i feel like the foundation phase the nines and tens spending two and a half years in there i think that was a good amount of time really for a, a good start off for me but you could definitely argue that I could have spent mm. more time in the 13 and 14s and kind of really understanding what it's like to be a, to for an under 13 and 14 boy in terms of growth, maturation, maturity, um, the non-football, sorry, the non-technical tactical elements. I could have spent longer at the, at the 15s yeah. and 16s, I guess, as well. Um, but I, I did. I, I felt like I was ready. But interestingly, when I've gone into all of my jobs, and I'm sure I'll look back in a year when I reflect again, I've always felt I was ready, but then when I've looked back a year later, I've kind of said to myself, you thought you were ready, but you're not. You feel more ready now. And probably every time that I go through that process and another year on from that and another year on, I'd say, yeah, I thought I was ready then, but I've learned more. So I think that's the one thing for me. I'm, I'm never, I never want to stop learning. I'm never happy with just, just doing okay. Definitely. I think it is just that, having that growth mindset. There is always something else to kind of work on in that respect. Just... On that, you know, you say that you spent two years in the foundation phase. There, and I, I think this is a this is a commonly discussed thing. I think within the professional game in particular, how? What are your thoughts on the, on needing an A license to work in no, the foundation? You don't need one. I mean, I was fortunate that first spell the Premier League brought that in as a rule. So I'm, I'm, like, I'm over yeah. because I got the, got I got the qualification. But no, the reality is, you don't. Yeah, you don't need it. The Advanced Youth Award's really good for people who are working in the foundation phase. Yeah. Um, but for me, the thing that, that's most important at the foundation phase, particularly the nines and tens, is the way that you connect with those players. If, you're not, if you don't connect with those yeah. players and you don't make them fall in love with the club, whatever club, so our club or grassroots club, then you don't have an opportunity to teach them. 
So the way I look at Dalf is if we yeah. can make them fall in love with the club at under nines and under tens, absolutely love football. The journey's a real long one. If we can make them fall in love with it and, and just love what we do, then elevens onwards, we've got a chance to really kind of teach them and we've got them in the palm of our, of our hand then and they, they want to come back. Yeah. So that's when we can try to kind of accelerate the, the learning a little bit. Um, yeah, but I, I don't think it's necessarily needed. But then there's that thing as well. Yeah, as no, coaches well, maybe feel a little bit undervalued if they don't have that air license. Not everyone. Some people are really kind of happy being in there, yeah. but a lot of people would feel kind of a little bit undervalued. Also, it's worth noting that sometimes there's monetary things in terms of wages might be increased depending upon um, on qualifications. So, yeah, no, definitely. I think you know what, what, why I mentioned that point is all because there's a lot of coaches that I come across in particular um, in my role as a tutor. You know. Where you know they, they want to go and do the UEFA B, they want to go and do the UEFA, but you know my response always to them is, well, yeah, why would you want to would you, would you want it for you know you want to go and get that qualification? You don't even have a, you don't even have an ambition yeah. of working in the pro game, okay. uh, and if if it's specific content or knowledge that you're looking for, there's other ways to access that information, and you know it could be similar to what you said and actually taking some time out and maybe going and reserving certain coaches so that you can pick up on some of those things that you want to get a bit more of an understanding for. Um, or it could just be that you know the, the content that you're looking for might be transferable skills that you can pick up from other other stuff. Um, but I definitely think coaches should you know take time before deciding to actually maybe participate in a qualification just for the sake of getting the qualification. Um, something else that you mentioned there, and I think something that I, I can definitely resonate with is obviously starting out in your career working with someone who's maybe a polar opposite yeah. to yourself. And I think. For me, I don't think enough coaches put value on how much you can take away from actually working alongside someone who has completely different views. And sometimes it's not even different views. Sometimes you might have the same view, but in the way, you, the manner in which you go about, I guess, uh, demonstrating that message or getting to that point is completely different. Now, I know certainly for me, you know, if I, I go back to maybe 2016, I was working with someone, who, someone, another coach who I met on my A licence, and we were very different in terms of how we worked. Both looking at the game from the same perspective in terms of the messages and I guess the end goal that we wanted to achieve, but we worked completely differently. It really showed for me actually, there's not a one size fits all approach, and that was you know that was a massive uh, milestone in my journey, where it really challenged me to think about what I'm doing and why I'm doing it, and I guess the way I do things generally. For you, what were the key takeaways for you in I guess? having that opportunity at the early stages of your journey to actually go and work with somebody who's maybe completely challenged the way you saw things? So I think my mentality at the time was very much you know, coming from just playing, quite serious, and I felt like you almost try to kind of mimic the coaches that you, um, that you respected yeah, the most. Been yeah. involved with. And, and then this guy was very yeah. much like kid-centred, very player-centred. In fact, not player-centred, kid-centred, very kid-centred. So everything he did was about enjoyment, fun, and the way that he taught was very, very different. So at the time, like he'd bring like whiteboards and pens, and not nobody really did this at the time. And I'm not talking tactics boards; I'm talking whiteboards and pens from school. And he'd have them writing things up, and he'd have them coming up with instead of like if you wanted them to play forward, he'd have them coming up with crazy rules or shouting like what I've deemed to be like crazy things. But there was always that element mm. as he was planning how they would, they would end up kind of communicating. So there was a social element to his sessions. The sessions were pretty much, I guess, run by the players, but they were really, really cleverly put together and really cleverly planned for the individuals in the session. And I guess a lot of his focus wasn't always around the tech tac corner. A lot of it, like I say, was around the social corner. 
and then he, and and I thought mm. I thought for the age of the players it was fantastic. And for me it was like, and I didn't probably realise it whilst working with him. It was probably a, a little bit of a clash at the time. But when I look back now, I think wow, that was so clever and it had such an impact on me and how the way I worked probably the years after. Um, but that that was the biggest thing for me. Just he was, I guess he was a little bit out there, but it was quite good. Yeah, and I think you know, just on that, then is it? Do you feel that going through that and that actually taking time and I think maybe humbled you a little bit in terms of your own thoughts? Because I feel like at times, you know, as coaches, we've all got egos, this, you know, if, we, if we, we're being honest about it. Um, sometimes we don't want to be- see that there's another way of doing things. We want to believe in that you know, we're doing the right thing and then there's no there's no other way. Do you feel like that was a humbling experience for you? Not, not to say that you went in there with an aggressive mindset to say that oh, you're, you're going to be one way or my way or the highway, essentially, but... In terms of that, definitely, of things. because it was the first time I'd ever been exposed to it. So I'd always been dealt with yeah. by the coaches who pretty much coached in one certain way. And it was the first time that I'd ever really thought about it as these are children and this is a child centered approach to teaching. And um, so it was extremely humbling for me and almost kind of like made me realize, Do you know what, you're working with children here, you're not working with young pros, you're not working with young footballers, even. You're just working with children who love the game yeah. of football and come here because. Yeah, because they've got talent and they've been chosen, but actually because they absolutely love it and adore it. And it really made me think about the way that I approached planning, preparing, evaluating, communicating with with people, not just players, but actually just people in general. And it massively helped in my day-to-day job as well, which was, again, like I say, going into schools. So, And it also helped me to understand, like you say, that everyone's different and there's no one-size-fits-all. What I think's right and what he thinks right might both be wrong, but they might be right at a certain point. So yeah, I think it was, yeah. it was extremely humbling for me. And just just in that on that, you know, just I I'm whenever I go on a course or whenever I participate in any sort, I'm always that guy who puts his hand up and asks the question. Just want to highlight, for, you know, for, for your own experiences and even for the listeners, you know, if you're gonna go and work with someone, how important is it really that you need to be asking those questions to make sure you get full clarity on what you what you're actually observing? Because I think a lot of coaches are afraid to ask those questions. And sometimes some coaches are afraid to be asked the question. I think it's really, really important to ask questions, but I think it's, it's about the types of questions that you ask. So for me, you'll have experienced yeah. it yourself. Some people ask questions for the sake of asking questions, but there's no real thought behind what they're asking. Yep. But the best questions, I think, are for the ones who really observing. And actually, so they're, they're really studious, they're really observing, but they're not quite sure. And sometimes people, and I'm somebody who'll do it, will say, oh, I might sound a little bit stupid here, but... Actually, there's nothing stupid about that question because if you're not sure, then ask. And you know what? You'll really tend to find that somebody who has thought about the question, somebody who's got a real thought behind what they're going to ask, people really appreciate that because actually it tells you the person you're asking the question to that you spend some time really observing and understanding what it is that they're doing, but actually you want to know a little bit more about it. So it shows you then that you care and that you're actually interested. And somebody somebody said um, something really, really good to me, which, which has stuck with me. Um, and it was around, if you're not listening, make sure it's a good question that you're asking. Because I think the power of listening in, in everything in life, but football in particular, you know, it's so important and as, a, as a leader, if, you, if that's what you want to class my job as now. I think li- listening, mm. leaders don't probably understand how valuable listening is. Understand listening to everything that's going on around and the, how people feel and what people think. Yeah. So and that, that really stuck with me. If you, if you're not uh, if you're not listening listening, make sure it's a real good question that you're asking. 
definitely. And you just, just you know, you talked a bit about your role there being the leader. Could you help the listeners understand a little bit about, you know, what your role actually entails and how, you know, how it actually plays a role in, I guess, the the play the player development pathway and even more so the coaching yeah. So I think um, essentially to to sum it up quite simply, then I'll expand. My job's basically to support each of the coaches' development and to, to try and help them to become the best coach that they can become. And I think it's really important that I make it kind of simple. And I think a coach's development is theirs to own, but it's my job to try and support them. And you'll get different buy-in from different coaches. So I'm not somebody who's going to be um, on you all the time saying, do you want this CPD opportunity? Do you want... I'll create opportunities, but a coach has to drive their own journey. So in terms of what my how I support the coaches, so we have a, a coaching competency framework. Um, so basically what that is, it's a list of criteria that we look for from coaches within our football club. So different areas that we brought that down into mm-hmm. um, and the coaches will grade themselves on that. And then again, it, it's kind of their perception as to where they're at. But with that, you'll come up with some some kind of areas of development. And from that, they come up with a development action plan. So I, I kind of help them to to kind of assess themselves from that point of view. And then once they've come up with a development action plan, say, right, OK, so let's put a time frame in place in terms of what's realistic to work towards this goal. And then how do I support you in your current role? or future roles that you want to work in, in line with these development areas for you. And that will sometimes look like opening up opportunities to go to, to other clubs, potentially sometimes to other businesses. So we've had people go to, we've got a really, really good gymnastics centre up in the northeast, and um, So we've had staff go and spend time there and kind of understand what it's like to be an elite gymnast because the gymnastics centre up here produces England standard gymnasts. Um, so we've had people go and spend time there so yeah so it's linking the coaching competency framework and the development action plans together it's kind of making sure that the playing and coaching philosophy is implemented so that all the coaches understand what the Middlesbrough Football Club weighs but also continue to evaluate mm-hmm. what that um, philosophy looks like um, and is it in line with modern trends and, Just... and does it still work for us are we basically living what we say we do um, and then I guess yeah. for me it's really really important to be around it See, see things in action, so be out there with the coaches, kind of understand what it is that they're going through, the challenges that they face in terms of implementing the work with the players and some of the challenges that they might be facing which then might impact upon their coaching competency framework or their development action plans. One thing I do think with my role essentially is, although I, of course all this impacts in terms of the player development, I think now that I've chose to go into this role and of course I still, still work with players from time to time and, and I still having an input on players. But I think my job really is to allow the coaches, the league coaches, to work with the players. Let's if we use the example of a, um, of a player audit meeting, so where we'll sit down and talk about players and their pathways, what it kind of looks like for them in terms of this season, the season after, will they be retained, will they be released? I don't think my primary role as a head of coaching is to actually have a massive input on the player. I'll have an opinion. If I'm asked of it, then I'll give it. But I think my job is more to observe yeah. the coaches in terms of how they gave the information to the rest of the room, what was their body language like, if they were challenged throughout that conversation, kind of how they reacted to that, and then maybe chat to them about that afterwards. So yeah. for me, I think it's a coach development role, so I should be there to support the coaches primarily. Um, so, I mean, there's so many other assets to the role, but I think they're the key ones for me. Sure. And so just on that, then, it's in obviously a large part of your role is to support the development of the coaches. Um, essentially, you essentially you're taking on the form of a mentor in some capacity. What would you say are some of the key behaviours that you think the coaches should be exhibiting if they want to be, I guess, true students of the game and really want to develop 
Are there any key characteristics that you, you would identify that need yeah, to be again, I mean, again, I think this can be quite a big list, but I'll go, I'll go for the ones that I think are really, really important. So I think you've got to have a real first... Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. I think you've got to have a relentless pursuit for details. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm talking, obviously, about the level that we're working at Category 1 Football Club, but I think this is this is appropriate to any level that you're doing. A relentless thirst for the details appropriate to the level of the players that you're working with. Um, so I think that's really, really important. I think you've got to have humility. I think you've got to really sometimes understand, which you've already alluded to, that sometimes your way won't be the best way. And actually, sometimes people around you might know more. And actually, yeah. even in my position... There'll be people know way more than me within the club. I'll be a lot more of an expert in certain areas than what I am. And I need them as much as they need me. So I think that bit's really, really important. I think you've got to have an understanding of what it is that you're looking for. So as a coach, do you understand the, the real kind? So if we, if we take the under 15s and 16s and we're talking about a key time in terms of trying to transition into a, a scholarship, do you understand the technical, tactical requirements of those players? Do you understand how that links into the Middlesbrough Football Club way? Because if you don't understand what it is that you're looking for, how can you support the players in terms of getting to that point? So I think that's really, really important. And then I think you've always got to bring it back to your environment. So the things that you're looking for in terms of the players, but actually the things that you're looking for in terms of when you're watching games or you're watching um, maybe key trends that are happening in football, can you bring that back to your environment? So it's great. Everyone loves Guardiola, right? Brilliant. I love Guardiola. But how does that relate to my work at Millsborough Football Club how does that work to relate to me working with the under 15s and under 16s because everything that he does at a first team level won't always relate back to what we do with our academy players there'll be some things in there that are fantastic that if we really yeah. bring into our context but actually bringing it back to our environment is key so there for me would be some of the some of the big ones I don't I don't think enough people invest enough time in actually becoming better at what they do in terms of really understanding the intricacies and the real depth of knowledge that is needed for certain things. No, I totally agree. And I think, you know, it, it comes back to the whole thing of people want to just roll through that journey as quick as possible and not really be told how to, how or what to do. Um, so I think definitely having that aspect, I think it's very important, as you touched on there, that even as a head of coaching, you're, there's still going to be thinking people that have got maybe more experiences than you in other areas. You know, I certainly one of the messages I always give to learners when they come on to any of my courses that I'm tutoring, I tell them that you may not have five, six, seven, eight, or however many years of experience working in football as a football coach, but you'll have a whole bunch of life experiences which have taught you things about people and everyday things that you can easily bring across to this environment. It's just about taking a step back and doing some reflection and understanding what you'll maybe bring into the table. Yeah. And I think respect. you, you talked about the key behaviour. Sorry, go on. Stop. I was just going to say, you yeah, talk about some of the key behaviours there, and I think one of one of my biggest frustrations, I guess, it, it, not in necessarily this role, but just in general in life, is is when people get comfortable, because I think sometimes, I think sometimes yeah. once people start getting into a comfort zone, then the standards start to decline a little bit. They don't invest enough time. They think that they've kind of maybe hit that 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 plateau, that point where they think they needed to get to, but I don't believe that that finish line ever 
is there. I feel like once you believe that you've hit the finish line, someone will take over you. Someone will go past you and win. So I think you've got to keep going. I think once people get get comfortable, I think standards start declining. And I think inevitably, if your standards start to decline, then the players that you're working with and trying to develop, they won't be getting what they need. And then they their quality, their standards start yeah. to decline. And I think we're so fortunate to have these roles that we have in these football clubs. That every, and it, Listen, they're intense environments. So some days you're going to feel a little bit like... I think nine times out of ten, you've got to come in there. You've got to really have the desire to develop the people around you. You've got to want to develop yourself. And you, you can't get comfortable. You can't get into a comfort zone. Definitely. So just on that note, then, what what, what do you do for yourself? And then what, what, what is there any practices or routines that you, maybe you've got or any affirmations that you give yourself that help you keep, uh, help you to stay motivated and, you know, feeling inspired about what you're doing on a day-to-day? Because I think, you know, at times, you know, just just human beings in general, we do go through plateaus. We do go through, uh, you know, stages where we kind of feel like we've hit a bit of a roadblock, yeah. or yeah, you know, we we we're slowing down in terms of what we're doing because maybe we haven't seen enough progression over a certain period of time, or whatever that might look like. Yeah, I guess um, I'm quite an intense person, so I think that's um, that's where that's kind of worth saying to begin with. I think my values, to be honest with you, um, never let let never let that slip. You know, of course, like you've alluded to, everybody has days. But I think my values mean that every day that I get up, I'll try and give the best for the people that are, that are around me because I think that's the very, very minimum that they can expect. Um, so I think that, that for me is really, really important. Um, other than that, I think sometimes you've almost got to try and remember the bigger picture. You know, I think everyone sets out on coaching. And some people say that they don't have a big picture, but I think everyone has something in their mind, whether sometimes they just don't want to declare it. Mm-hmm. So I think sometimes when you have those off days or whether maybe you start to feel a little bit um, kind of like you're getting into a comfort zone, just remind yourself of what the bigger picture is. What is it that you're actually trying to work towards? What is your end goal? And, and how are you going to get there? And actually by kind of sitting back and just relaxing and resting on it for a long period of time, are you going to get to those ambitions and those goals that you've set yourself or actually are you kind of doing yourself a little bit of a disservice? So, yeah, my values and, and that kind of longer-term goal, I think for me, is really, really important. Definitely. I think the key thing that you said to me there is obviously you know, it's about maybe putting pen to paper on it really, isn't it? But I think I think that a lot of people do have goals in their mind. They do maybe have established goals that they want to achieve, but because they haven't actually put it down somewhere or, or I guess vocalised it in some ways, they almost lose sight of the fact they have actually got that. I mean, I, I certainly face that with coaches when I, you know, when we're discussing, you know, potential coaching philosophies and I've many come across many coaches in the past, oh, I don't have a philosophy. Well, actually, well, what yeah. do you want to achieve? What do you currently do to get those things to happen? And so on. You know, that is your philosophy. You just haven't put pen to paper on it to maybe, you know, reflect and I guess analyse what it is that you're actually looking at and how you're going about doing it to even then say, I've actually got a philosophy that makes sense. I think the key thing for me is actually, you know, whatever it is that you're doing, do take a step to put pen to paper on those sorts of things because those things will just become more cl- more clearer for you um, in that respect. So, you know, you've talked a bit there, you touched on it a bit there about being in comfort zone um, and that being maybe one of the things that you, you're not really fond of in terms of other coaches. And Have there ever been a time where you've maybe been stuck in a comfort zone before or, you know, there's any been challenges where you've kind of can't really get past it and you've you know, it's taking you a little while and a lot of work in different ways in which you then may have overcome those things. 
Oh, you might even be facing a challenge right now that you still yeah, don't have. I think, with, I think with the way that my journey's gone, particularly in the last three to four years, I don't think I've ever had a chance to get into a comfort zone, to be honest. Um, it's been quite intense, okay, but I enough. think the one a challenge that I always face, and particularly now in this role, I think is um, is even more prevalent, is con- learning to, to con- like, want to control the uncontrollables. And actually now I need to learn that actually you can control mm-hmm. those, so just control the controllable things. And in this role, that's really, really important yeah. because there's so many factors that can make this role a success or maybe deemed to be not such a success. So I think that's a real challenge that I face in my, my work, my day-to-day work. I face it as a coach. I face it as a head of coaching. I'll probably face it in future roles. Just kind of really trying to get my mind to focus on the things that I can influence, the things that I can um, impact upon, and actually the things that I can't. Don't get too downbeat about those because... I'm quite, like I said already, I'm quite an intense person. So I do sometimes, you know, come home and I'm absolutely exhausted. And I think if you spend too much time on the things that you can't control, and that's going to really take away from the real good work that, and the time that you can spend with coaches actually helping them to develop. So I think, yeah, that, that for me would be the biggest challenge that I face. And it would be an ongoing battle and challenge for me. Just in terms of. Def, def, just, and just on that, then you've talked, you've talked there about never really been uh, in a comfort zone because of the constant role changes. Do you think that there's a, there's a, there's a danger that you might, that you potentially could move, move from role to role too quickly? I think so. I think you've got to take every individual um, as and when they come. I think sometimes you're ready, sometimes you're not. Like I said earlier, I felt I was ready. I might look back in the future and think, mm-hmm. you know what, I should have maybe spent a little bit more time with that. But I, I even feel with the under-16s, I could have spent loads more time with that. I could have become such a, a better coach would be better under 16 coaches out there than me without a doubt but I felt like I'd kind of really experienced it and sampled it and I didn't feel like other than me getting better I didn't feel like the games program was going to chuck up anything really massively different um, obviously the opposition that we would play right. you, you might come up with against a different shape a different formation um, but the, the players and things like that, that that were coming through in the next two or three years I'd already worked with them so I didn't feel like there was a huge bit of difference coming that would be around the corner but I guess, I guess, yeah. There's, there's, a, there's, a, sure. there's a balance to both sides. I think you've got to take each individual and the time that it comes um, into their own context. I guess, but I, I personally felt like it was it was a good chance for me to move to move on to this role. Definitely, and you need something else that you touched on there is in terms of the development of the club and being successful and answering. So, how do how do how do you how do you get assessed then in terms of as a head of coaching? Um, you know, obviously working with coaches, you wanted to develop, but. I guess what are you, what are the targets that you're trying to hit? How do you how does how does that pan out in terms of the actual practicalities of it? How do you assess whether ahead of coaching? So I guess we have some enough? some things that we're going to try and measure. So I've just been putting to, together our presentation for for the coming season. So I won't say too much about it on here. Um, but so we've got some things that we want to try and work towards. And for me, it's about looking at a longer journey. So what does it look like in two years, and what does it might look like in five years? And can we try to kind of build towards these goals? Um, but I think first and foremost, how will I be deemed whether I'm successful? In my eyes, um, I would like that if coaches leave Middlesbrough Football Club, um, I don't necessarily need them to turn around and say that I'm a really, really friendly, nice guy and you know I'm the best person to go for a cup of tea with. But I want them to turn around and say, do you know what? You really helped me to develop as a coach and as a person. Because those things are really important yeah. for me, those, those values elements. I want to create an environment. I want to be part of creating an environment that people love coming to Middlesbrough, they want to be a coach at Middlesbrough Football Club and they feel like when they come, they're given time, they feel valued and they leave 
a better person and a better coach than what they arrived. And I think if you get that bit right, if you get your standards right, then I do truly believe that the players around us will continue to develop as well because they have immense talent, the players. I think we do a good job at helping them, but I do think the players, you know, they are in charge of a big part of their own journey. So, yeah, that for me would be what I would deem success. Other people look at other things differently, but I, I do truly believe that that would be my idea of success in this role. Definitely. I mean, you know, in some of, you know, in my role as a tutor, sometimes I, you know, I have different learners and some will take to my approach and some won't. Some, some have, I guess, come back to me and said, you know, they feel that maybe at times I've been quite harsh with them. And for me, and it'll be interesting to get your views on this. For me, it's not about whether I've been harsh or nice. Do you feel like you've developed off your experience with me? Is the is if for me that's the that's the that's the main thing. Um, obviously, you know, there's there's a way to kind of do that. There's not it's not being harsh in a way where you're being malicious with it, but sometimes it's being brutally honest with people. Um, what yeah, are your I tend to agree. That? Like we're all human, so I think sometimes you know, I agree with your approach. So I think sometimes you have to be, you kind of sometimes have to be not so nice to be nice. Um, I think you have to treat, again, you have to treat everybody as an individual. So I think you have to get to know the, your staff. You have to get to know how people want to be communicated with. Some people won't like being spoke to in front of a group. Some people want individual feedback. Some people don't mind that little bit of more honesty. Some people need an arm around them. So I think it's first and foremost, get to know your people. But I agree. I think it's not necessarily about how people perceive me or the way that they perceive how I get to the point of helping them. It's about have they learned, have they developed have I helped as part of that? And sometimes, yeah, I think in our roles, it'll be similar when you're working with people in the FA, you might drive home and think, and you, you might kind of stew on it a little bit more yourself than what they actually do in terms of, poor, how did they how did they find that today? What do they feel about the information that I said? You know, are they going to be all right with me? You might have a sleepless night, but actually, inevitably, if you've helped them to become a better person, a better coach, then that's your job. And sometimes you've got to just deal with the other bits that come with it. Mm. And just you know, just on the, on that, then what, what what would you say your role really taught you about leading others and I guess supporting others from that? Yeah, so from I that think the most important thing is the value of communication, and that's at all levels. So communicating upwards, so the academy manager, and, and if needs be, then the chief executive, communicating all the way down. So making sure that the part time staff feel just as valued as the full time members of staff. Making sure that not just the coaching department, but we communicate with. Um, the multidisciplinary team so that's the sports science the psychology um, we've got the teachers in there I think it's just making sure that everybody understands what's going on I think if people understand what's going on and they hear it firsthand rather than hearing it through friendship groups I think everyone feels valued and I, I don't think anyone can ever turn around then and say yeah do you know what like I didn't feel part of that you know you're always going to have um, yeah. better relationships or stronger relationships with some people than others but there's no excuse for me for everyone not to be given the same information of course you know times information might have to be kept a little bit more secretive but I'm talking the general things that everybody should be part of feel part of the journey I think that communication for me is absolutely vital and then I think the other thing for me would just be would be empathy I guess um, and just trying again trying to keep sight of the bigger picture you know football throws up odd things day to day, a bad result or, you know, somebody doesn't sign their contract or uh, the club maybe don't get all the points needed on a on an audit or, or something goes wrong, we get relegated, whatever that looks like. But actually keep sight of the bigger picture, keep reminding ourselves of the bigger picture. Fantastic. So, just, you know, let's fast forward a little bit now. You now, 
gone, I think we said, is it seven or yeah, eight, seven, eight years yeah. at Middlesbrough Seven, now? yeah. As a coach. Managed to get to head of coaching. Uh, we've had a brief, uh, I think we've had, we've touched on this briefly in the past and I'm I'm sure, you know, if Craig has a listen to this, <laughs> you might want to be careful about what you say here. But what's next um, for Shed? I mean... Yeah, I think it would be it would be unbelievable to, to take Craig's place. You know, once obviously um, he decides to retire, I think to finish off that that academy journey, you know, starting as a nine year old boy coming in first, going all the way through and under nineteens, then returning as a coach, starting at the under nines, and then and then working to become the academy manager would be an absolute dream. So I think that would be that would be something that would yeah. be brilliant. I would like to think the next five to six years is really getting some real in depth knowledge in this role, understanding about. You know how to support coaches, how I might be able to help them to develop, um, understanding myself. You know what makes me tick, why I am the coach I am, the person that I am, um, and then really understanding what my values are and and the values of the football club and how they align, and then hopefully that will put me in a better position to to potentially, if it, if it comes available, you know, take over from Craig. If that's not the case, then then obviously we'll reevaluate. Yeah. But yeah, that's that's the next goal for me. Right, and then going back to now, let's take you back a few years now, back to 17-year-old. You're now having those what-if moments. You know, what if playing doesn't work out for me? I want to take a step into the coaching. What would be the one bit, you know, if you could give go back and give that Phil Shedwin one bit of advice or some information around where you, based on where you're at now, what would that information be before he takes that first step? Listen, learn, then speak. So for me, it would be listen and listen intently. No, for me, I came out and it was like want to go two footed in, and I've said I've I've made that mistake probably times through my coaching journey, even in the full time roles. You know, really listen, um, understand, surround yourself with people who have more knowledge than you, but actually people with different styles to you as well. You know, like I did with the under 11s, which was just given to me by coincidence. And then once you start to build, uh, kind of what your philosophy is, what your way of doing things is, then you can maybe start to have a little bit of an impact. Um, but yeah, that that for me would be definitely listen, listen and learn before you try to do anything else first. Brilliant. And then just just you know, one last one for you then. If you had sixty seconds now, just to package one golden nugget for the listeners to kind of take away, and hopefully apply within their own, uh, I guess, coaching uh, craft and practitioner. Well, I'm not sure what if it would be a golden nugget, and we haven't I haven't talked probably on here about the the um, planning, preparation and evaluation, how important I think that is. But for me, if you're a coach now, I think coaches need to be able to develop the ability where they can plan for an individual within a team setting. So particularly in our environment, you know, how many mm-hmm. of those players will actually get through to the first team. So it's about, okay, we've got individual learning plans where they work on their own on an isolated practice, but how do you bring that into the game? So for example, for me, it would be if you've yeah. got two centre-halves who really struggle with dealing with um, balls in behind or dealing with space in behind, You've also got a centre forward who needs to work on uh, forward runs, playing on the shoulder and getting in behind. Then in training games, can you pair them up together? And then what you might do is you might offset the pitch length. So the two centre halves and the centre forward that needs space to run into, they might have a slightly bigger half than the other team. So then that naturally forces the team to want to play into that space. Then all of a sudden, your number nine, your forward, is constantly getting repetition of running in behind. And your two centre halves are getting constant repetition of actually having to turn and, and mm. go and defend that space in behind. So through your clever planning and preparation, you're actually working on the individuals within your team to support their... The, so the whole team's getting something, but the individual's getting something specific to them. And I think that's where coaching's going, in my opinion. I think that needs to be every single session. 
definitely. Definitely, I think it's something you touched on, and I think there'll be a lot of lot of listeners, especially from the grassroots community, probably listening on to this. And what you've really kind of summed up there is, is one is one facet of maybe a constraints led approach, um, where obviously, like you said, depending on the needs and the I guess the demands of each playing position, and I guess the, the stage of development a player might be in, it's now making those adjustments to the pitch sizes and and I guess maybe the physical demands in that respect as well for each individual player. What would you say? You know, what would you say is a bit of because obviously, you know, in the academy, in the pro game, you're probably going to have access to so many different resources to kind of support you in, I guess, that planning stage and putting those things in place. What would you say are some of the key things then from that, that maybe someone who's probably working in a grassroots environment or working in a brand where we meet, they have maybe not as many resources as the Cat One Academy. What, what do you think are the key considerations they might have to make and I guess things that maybe they could apply in their own environments to get similar sort of, sort of outcomes? So I guess for if, you, if you're talking about it from a constraints point of view from the grassroots, you need one ball, you need a, a, a direction to play in, so you don't even necessarily need goals and you need something that can mark out a pitch. So first and foremost, I think there's some real simplicity to playing a game. It's not just a game for the game's sake. Mm-hmm. Then after that, I think it's about considering what the individuals need, what the team needs, or actually... If it's for just fun, what is it that in your session, in your game, that is going to be really, really enjoyable, really, really fun, but help them to learn something that maybe they struggle with in the last game or something that you're really, really good at? Um, and again, it does come down to time. You might have somebody within your grassroots side who you really think's got a chance of getting into an academy, or you might have somebody in your grassroots side who actually doesn't get a lot of support or doesn't have a lot of positivity in their life. So you might focus around them. But I think that the beauty of something like a constraints-based approach for anybody, regardless of what equipment you've got, you just need the ability to play in a direction. You need a pitch or, or an area, and you need a ball and some markings for for an area. Um, so for me, that would be the simplest way of looking at that. I guess it depends where you want to take your team. You know, if you really just, want yeah. to start thinking about the individuals, then you'll you'll start looking at the stuff that we talked about. So you talk the, maybe the luxuries we've got, yeah. but actually again that element that I spoke about there, you only need a pitch, you need some cones to offset the halfway line and you, you need two directions, one team going one way, one team going the other way. So we don't need too much. So I think, you know, with clever session design, we, we have our own challenges, but with clever session design, then I think you can you can get a lot out for people. Definitely. And I, I always go down the path of, you know, making sure that everything we do has some sort of relevance to the game. Just on that, you know, I've recently had a discussion with some coaches, um, around the idea and what it's actually one of the episodes that we've actually released prior to this one um was on unopposed versus opposed coaching i'm actually not a big fan of unopposed work at all um if i'm honest um and i feel like if you're going to go down the unopposed route sorry it's it's got to be done where there's some context provided already for the players around what they're actually working on if that makes sense was like a lot of coaches maybe just go down the path of doing unopposed work and saying yeah we're working on technique, but I think even within that, for me, the technique still has to have some context around it. What are your thoughts on that? If I'm honest, I do. I mean, it's going to sound like a bit of a cop out, I guess, but I do feel like there's a balance to everything that you do. So my my one thing, if I walk out, yeah, and and this is not kind of the relationship I have with the coach, but if I walked out and I saw a practice that I deemed was just unopposed and I didn't see any relevance, I think the important thing is to understand the why. Why are people doing that? And if people can give you a justification as to why, you still might not necessarily agree with it. And that might be an an area for discussion later in terms of the trade-off that you get in between a pause and unopposed. But at least there's a thought process going on behind that. I think 
the opposed practice is what everybody starts to play football for. That's what people see on the telly, the opposed the game. Um, but I do think there's times mm-hmm. where, and if you look at individual learning plans like what I've already discussed, some of that stuff will be unopposed. But I do think if you do an unopposed practice, I think it won't be for, for too long and it needs to be real high quality. So it might be low intensity, but it needs to be real high quality. It needs to be about refining something that you've maybe recognised, but it always needs to be put back into that opposed situation, in my opinion, to test whether it's had any benefit or any value. Um, so I think that there is a, I think there's a balance. I think yes. if you can do unopposed practice that still brings around some of the cues and triggers that you'll experience in a game, then I think that that's even more valuable. Yeah, and that's exactly what I'm touching on there. So I think any time that potentially would go through the unopposed route, it is clearly looking at, right, what is the exact kind of technique or the cues and triggers that we might have to, I guess, uh, be aware of if it was a live game situation. So, you know, and I often say that, even me using a mannequin, I'm not really a big fan of mannequins either. I'd rather have a player standing there and not moving because I feel like that mannequin itself is going to have a different impact for you as an individual performing an action than, let's say, if I had a six foot four centre back in front of me that wasn't moving. Um, or on the flip side, it might be a, a five foot nine uh, full back in front of me where I'm trying to I'm trying to get by. You're going to start to assess the different characteristics. I think for me, it's now painting those pictures and I guess developing that context for the players that when they if they do go into the unopposed practice they know what they're practicing for if that makes sense so it comes back to your whole thing about you've got to know the why I think a lot of what you're talking about there is again comes down to do the coaches know enough about the technique or the skill that they're teaching because if you're going to do that unopposed practice and it needs to be real high quality then have you done enough studying and enough research do you know enough about the technique about your way your hips need to be your, your shoulders your first touch how you receive it things like that mm-hmm. people, do people really know yeah, exactly enough that, knowledge exactly about what that. they're going to teach because if you don't then that's dangerous teaching for me definitely so what, what, just on that line you know just to kind of finish off with some I guess I think we're going to get some key bits for, for learners here or listeners rather what would you say is a step that coaches can take to get that key detail? Because now I think one of the big criticisms over the court for the courses nowadays, and I think there are some fantastic courses that the FA are running, um, but one of the big, I guess, yeah, criticisms is that they've moved quite far away now from where it used to be in terms yeah. of the technical side of things. And a lot of coaches maybe previously would have come on the courses to maybe develop and gain some of that technical, technical knowledge and build their technical understanding of the game. Uh, and now having to maybe source different uh, avenues in terms of getting that information. What would your advice be to coaches who are maybe looking for that additional bit of technical understanding and building that aspect of things, but not not being able to maybe... I think, you've got, to go and watch, the I think you've got to go and watch the people who have been recognised as real kind of experts, if you want to use that word, in, in those fields. There's a lot There's a lot of people out there, and they do tend to be more yeah. the, the older the older firms or... And people, maybe you've actually retired now. Go and spend time with them. Ask them if you can go for a cup of a cup of coffee or a cup of tea. Treat them with a cup of tea and actually just delve into them. Ask them questions. Talk them about techniques. Don't be afraid to say, "Well, I think this is how you do it. Is this right?" And really start like delve into the the technique behind whatever it is that you're looking for. So if you're looking to, for how somebody receives on their back foot and then you're, you're talking about their body shape and the shoulders, their hips and, and kind of that first touch. Don't be afraid to maybe get it wrong. You know, speak to people who you feel have got that little bit more knowledge and have a go and actually go and study, really study, watch games, watch the best people that receive and what is it that they do? What is it they do before they receive? You know, what is it they do with the body when they receive? Look at their centre of gravity, look at their body shape, things like that. 
So I think that's what that's really important for me. It's, it is it all, in my opinion, does come down to time, and time sometimes is a challenge for people. I get in in grassroots, but if you want to be really really good at something, then you're gonna give you're gonna invest time and find the right people that are gonna help you with that. Definitely, I think a key thing that you've kind of touched on there for me, and I think I'd say to all coaches, you identify the expert, but know exactly what you want to you want to get from, I guess, the experience you're about to embark on. You know that journey you're about to embark on. So if you're going to go down the route of going for a qualification, what is it about a specific qualification you want to get out? If you want to go and watch a coach, because many a times I've had uh, coaches. And I've probably been guilty of this myself in the past. You know, can I come and watch a session? Or can, you know, I'm going to go and observe this coach. Or quite commonly in the past, you, you've probably experienced this where they, you know, they put in your action plan, go and observe a more experienced coach, right? But what am I observing for? And I think it's about really narrowing down and being clear on what those things are that you're trying to get out so that you know then to, where to start looking Absolutely, for yeah, totally. Yeah, I think it always has to link back, and I said it earlier, it always has to link back to your environment and has to link back to your players. Somebody once said a great thing to me, and it's, again, it's it stuck with me ever since. Whatever's tactically desirable must be technically achievable. And what that basically meant to me when I kind of really spoke to him about it was, we'll all, again, I'll use Man City because I, I really like Guardiola. We'll all watch Guardiola and we'll like what he does with his players. But actually, if I come back to Middlesbrough, we might not have the players who are technically capable of doing the things that tactically we want to do. So then we've got to adapt. We can't maybe necessarily be like Guardiola's Man City. And I think there's so many coaches out there who, who try to yeah. implement a way onto players because it's vogue, it's the way that things are being done. Actually have a look at the players that you've got in front of you and what is yeah. it that their strengths are? What is it that is actually achievable? And I think that's a, that's a good place to start. Always start with the players. Definitely. Definitely, you know, I'm just going to just want to wrap up on that note there. I think that's a key message. It's, as I said, really, it's keeping the players at the forefront of everything you're doing. Um, but look, Phil, it's been a fantastic conversation. I'm sure that the listeners are going to take away some great information. I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed the conversation. You've really brought up some questions in my mind about some of the things I've been through in my journey in particular um, that I'm probably going to now be sitting back and reflecting on, thinking, no, was I right with that? Was I not right with that? But, um, Look, thanks no, again no. for you know for your time. It's been very enjoyable. Um, hopefully, maybe in the future we'll get you on again and we can kind of explore some different aspects of you know what you're doing and maybe that by that time you know, Craig, if you if you are listening to this, um, I'm not wishing it, I'm not wishing it anytime soon, but maybe fingers for, crossed. Maybe I appreciate that. <laughs> um, fingers crossed, definitely. Uh, just the last one, just to kind of leave us now. Do you want to just uh, feel just let, want to let listeners know where they could get in touch with you? If they yeah, absolutely. So obviously, I'm I'm on Twitter. I don't necessarily use it massively to kind of retweet a lot of stuff, but I, I use it to follow a lot of things. So if you want to find me on there at Philip twenty three ten, I'm on LinkedIn. Um, so people will be able to find me on there. Obviously, my name will be on the, the podcast as well. So if you want to find me on LinkedIn and, and drop me an, an inbox or whatever, that's absolutely fine. I'm more than happy to help as much as I possibly can. Um, yeah, I think I think that's really important. People sharing ideas and things. So where best possible, I'll, I'll certainly support and help. Well, there you have it, guys. Another episode of the Coaches Network podcast, where our aim is to bring the world of athlete, talent and personal development together to just one platform. And you can help us with that mission right now by sharing this episode or any of your favourite episodes with everyone that you can think of. You can tag us in those mentions as well on Instagram at the Coaches Network or on Twitter at the Coaches Net. We look forward to hearing from you. Let us know what you thought about today's episode. And until next time, guys, take care. 
say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill.